welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today, we have a very unique episode available for you. We did our first ever live What the HR podcast interview at the Twin Cities Sherm Spring Conference in May of 2022. And we were lucky enough to be joined by an incredible guest, uh, Greg Johnson, talking on the topic of uh, psychological safety in the workplace. So when this intro is uh, finished and you actually start to hear the interview, it's going to sound a little bit different. And the beginning of it is going to be a little bit different than maybe what you're used to um, if you've been a regular podcast listener. So just wanted to make you aware of that. But to introduce Greg formally as our guest for this live podcast interview, I would like to share that Greg is the Senior Director of Human Resources, Talent and Strategy at Children's Minnesota and a member of the Pride Employee Resource Group Leadership Team. Greg has been at Children's Minnesota for over two years and leads the talent acquisition human resources, business partners, and HR consultants, and organizational development and learning functions. Through his leadership, he is charged with implementing talent strategies in alignment with the organizational strategic plan. Throughout his career, Greg has led highly engaged teams in small to large organizations and multiple industries, offering deep and broad HR experience in the suite of HR disciplines, project management, change management, and equity and inclusion. Greg's work with advancing equity and inclusion for the LGBTQ community and his overall HR leadership has contributed to him being recognized as uh, Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal's Business of Pride honoree in 2020 and honored with the Ogletree Deacon and Twin City Society for Human Resources Management HR Professional of the Year Award in 2018. We were, again, as I mentioned, super fortunate to have Greg as our guest, um, honorary guest um, of our very first live podcast episode. If you really liked this format and you, um, even if you had an opportunity to see us live at the Twin City Sherm Spring Conference, um, let us know what you think about this and if this is something that you would want us to do again in the future. And as always, thank you for being a listener. If you're loving our guests and our uh, topics that we speak about on this podcast, please do us a huge favor, head out to your favorite podcast platform, leave us a rating and review. Doing so helps ensure that our um, podcast episodes are getting out to other business leaders and HR professionals. As always, thanks for being a listener and enjoy the episode. This is different because we always do it on Zoom and we don't write down questions a lot. So like the formality of it's a little bit unique, but looking forward to it, Greg. Uh, very easy way of getting started for us. We're talking about psychological safety in the workplace. What is it? Why is it important? Yeah, great question. And I think everybody uh, shows up to this space with a different understanding or definition of what psychological safety is. And I just boil it down to the bottom line is, is that when you join a team, in an organization, you have the ability to speak up and to speak up with regardless of how difficult the the conversation is going to be. Um, Being able to address the good, the bad, the really bad, and the in-between with that and have that psychological safety. And when you can show up and speak up about all of those topics, 
um, there's a there's a shared belief that you're not going to be viewed in a negative light. You're not going to be treated differently, retaliated against, humi humiliated, and so forth. Um, so so that's it. And when you and when you think about for me speaking up about the good, the bad, the really bad, and the in-between, it's being able to do that with your peers and colleagues in cross-functional projects, and then up the leadership chain, if you will. So, so being able to have that really radical candor type of conversation with those that you work with. How would you say that psychological safety is above and, above and beyond belonging as part of you know, DE&I efforts within an organization? A great question. So it's above and beyond because you know, there, there is some intersectionality, if you will, between equity and uh, belonging and, and having psychological safety. It's above and beyond it because it is really leveraging the collective experiences and voices and opinions of the team and elevating that and giving a platform for people to show up with half-baked ideas, um, um, really raw thoughts that they haven't haven't thought through and giving the ability with their leader or whoever it is that they're working with to just brainstorm out loud mm -hmm. and not not have that fear of, man, I don't know everything. I don't have this problem solved yet, um, but I just need to kind of get my spaghetti thoughts out, right? Mm -hmm. and And have that safety of being able to talk through that. If you don't have that piece, there's an argument that you don't have a true sense of belonging, right? We all show up, we all come to the table with different experiences, knowledge, skill sets, and if we can't kind of be a little bit more vulnerable during those conversations about where I might lack in some knowledge and where I can excel, mm -hmm. you don't have that true sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's not just about bringing your full self to work and the inclusivity that comes with that, but it's also about, to the example that you made, not having a fully baked out idea, or maybe you're somebody that sort of processes things in real time and being in an environment that welcomes that type of communication or thinking style. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, and speaking of processing differently, right? There are people who um, need time to process, right? So they might be a little bit more reserved and quiet up front. So, you know, really thinking through fostering belonging and psychological safety, knowing the personalities of the people that you work with, and then being able to um, deploy multiple modes of communication and give people a space to process or um, or whether internally and have them circle back or process out loud. Mm -hmm. so, Another um, real quick key piece yeah. to this is, I said uh, normalize vulnerability, practice humility. Um, it's also giving people the safe space to acknowledge their own mistakes or when projects or programs are not going according to plan. Um, without that fear, again, of being ridiculed or held accountable, mm -hmm. right? Because none of us, you know, I just heard this yesterday in a strategy team uh, retreat that I was at at Children's Minnesota. Nobody shows up to just be mediocre in their performance, right? Nobody intentionally sabotages projects or programs. So mistakes happen, right? We're humans. And if I don't have that safety to be able to say, hey, leader, hey, project manager, this isn't going as planned, 
you know, the project's going to continue to suffer because we don't have that psychological safety to speak up. Mm -hmm. So we talk about this all the time on the podcast. There's this idea of creating a culture around something specific and psychological safety is no different, but humans are all different. And so how we feel about, you know, psychological safety or what makes me more comfortable versus somebody else is going to be different across the board. So I'm curious maybe how you guys have handled that within teams um, at your company or any advice that you would give, you know, from somebody who says maybe they, they think they have a problem. And again, I'm going off script like I always do here, but like, do you know what I'm asking there in terms of everybody is going to feel safety in a different way? So how do you make sure that everybody within a team feels equally important? Yeah. So Mike, great question. Um, and I just want to underscore everyone feels safety differently, mm -hmm. right? And, and let's even go think back to when we were you know, raised in our households did, you know, we come from a family structure that enabled us to, right, call our parents out, right, when maybe I didn't agree with the curfew limits and did they enable that kind of psychological safety. So everyone shows up to this space differently. And, and really what we need to do is set team norms um, for your existing team and then for how to welcome new people into that team and whether it's a new hire, new project team, get informed and whatnot. Um, so I think that that's a very important piece is being able to identify where's everybody at, let's set those team norms, guiding principles, and then model it from a leadership, um, from leadership down. Because if a leader, right, can't practice vulnerability and self-criticism, how's the how's the team going to be able to do the same? Yeah, and that leader is always the linchpin of everything that we tend to talk about. Yeah. So in terms of understanding if you're doing this well, like, I guess what are some, what are some things that you would see you know, as you move towards a psychological safe place? Like, what are some indicators that you're doing the right things and people are feeling that way? Yeah, so for some of my best practices that I like to look for is um, talk about it with just simply talk about it. Have a collective team understanding about what psychological safety is. Make sure that we have that general understanding and we're on the same page. Um, and then from a leadership perspective, it's definitely talking about it at that level, building it into various um, team structures. So for example, um, Children's Minnesota is actively working on continuous improvement initiatives. And part of this is we're designing um, three different systems to all overlap with each other. And what you do and what we're talking about is identifying problems, get to the root cause of the problem, and to do that in a psychologically safe manner, right? Because when you actively seek problems, someone undoubtedly is gonna get nervous or apprehend, right? Have mm -hmm. apprehension. Is, is my performance or my credibility gonna be viewed differently when we actively look for those problems? So we've really built it into framework of various initiatives and specifically call out psychological safety and then our, our executives all the way down are starting to model those behaviors and the conversation points. So talk a little bit more, you know, if we've got those here in the audience or those that are, are tuning in online, if they wanted to do sort of a scorecard. Yeah. 
you know, of a, a temperature check, if you will, of where they're at now with that, what, what would be some steps that you would recommend? Yeah, so first within a team, do some, do your own um, observations of, well, let's, let's start here. Start with self-awareness and have the tough conversation with yourself in the mirror to say, how am I showing up as a member of the team, regardless of the position you hold in an organization? Mm -hmm. If you are the type of person who instantly shuts down other people's ideas or right give nonverbal cues of right throwing your head back when somebody brings a problem to, to the table, right? Have that self-assessment, um, self-awareness, and, and work on um, improving yourself. Mm -hmm. Then do the environmental scan of the teams that you're working with. And you can do that just in your everyday course of work. So when you're in a team meeting and you're presenting an idea or someone else is presenting an idea, is it quiet? Are people questioning what is the objective of this idea? Is it really going to produce the results that we think it is? Or is there kind of the go along to get along, mm -hmm. right? You're going to pick up on, depending on, how familiar you are with the members of the team, just a shift in their, in their demeanor and their own approach. Mm -hmm. um, so I look at things of that nature. Obviously, there's all the, the HR data points that most of us are familiar with. Um, you have engagement survey results, turnover results, exit surveys. So definitely hone in on what those key indicators might be, might be suggesting or telling you. It doesn't tell the whole story, but it helps you dig and have a, have additional exploratory conversations. Um, and then, uh, there's a Harvard professor. Amy Edmondson, who has done a lot of research and work on psychological safety in the workplace. And she has a, a newer book um, about the fearless organization. And with that comes uh, an organization scan assessment. So I've, I've embarked on it a little bit myself. Um, there's a free assessment where you can take as an individual. I think if I remember correctly, it was five questions. It took me three minutes and it gave me a good sense of how I am as an individual um, compared to kind of just average general population. There's a second offering that's more about survey your team and then you get an honest, an, an anonymous report back that helps you understand where the team views psychological safety. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like um, training for leaders is an important part of making sure that this is effective and can organically kind of spread amongst or throughout an organization? Yes, yes. Training for for leaders, and then um, and then I would say as they get comfortable with it, cascade it and scale it to everyone in the organization. Look, we we grew up. Most of us, and we're taught very specifically, right? Don't admit your mistakes. You know, have some. You know, be humble, but don't admit, don't admit your mistakes. And um, we all have high expectations for ourselves, and fear the repercussions if we don't meet expectations. So we have to equip our leaders and HR professionals with the skills and capability to shift our own mindsets get our egos out of our the way of ourselves mm -hmm. in order to foster this psychologically safe workplace. Mm -hmm. Modeling, leaders modeling the behavior to make it more comfortable on their teams. That's exactly it. That's yeah. exactly it. And a great a great best practice, you know, if there's anyone in this room might have heard me say this, um, 
you know, you can be, as a leader, your own self-critic, and you can do so out loud and do it in front of your team. So real life example, I can be pretty talkative in team meetings, and I, and I identified this early, early on at Children's, and I acknowledged it and called it out to my team. And what that does is, one, they know that I'm a self-critic, and it's because I want to improve because um, we all want to improve. And what this does is give them comfort to call me out if I'm hogging the podium. And then it gives them more comfort that they can also demonstrate, you know, the self-criticism when they feel it's needed. Mm-hmm. So expand on the training piece a little bit. Like what would be some of the components of some of those learning modules, if you will, that would be a part of psychological safety in the workplace? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I would focus the training more so on um, holding effective team meetings and giving people the space to um, contribute their their skills, knowledge, experience, and ideas. So it's a little bit more of the soft skills, um, if you will, interpersonal relationship skills, um, and helping leaders navigate um I would say conflict resolution mm. through it, right? Because mm-hmm. when you have people pushing back on ideas or calling out mistakes, undoubtedly there's going to be a little conflict there. And leaders need to know how to artfully maneuver that mm-hmm. um, without creating messages really about, hey, we don't want people to speak up, right? This is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to create friction and conflict, and that's healthy. And so the addressing the conflict is more so about how to do that in a productive manner versus having people close up and shut down. Mm-hmm. I imagine there's a bit of um, accountability for the meeting after the meeting too. You know, somebody says something afterwards and the person's like, well, why didn't you bring that up in the meeting? That's exactly, that's a great point, right? Because we're all used to that water cooler talk or meeting after meeting. And, and that's a, a key ROI to having radical candor in psychological safety is to avoid the meeting after the meeting. And, and, and again, we all have a role in it regardless of our position. So, you know, I think, I think if the room is quiet, regardless of the title you hold, you have to ask each other, is this reasonable? And then, you know, nicely call out someone. Michael, I haven't heard from you in a while. What's your opinion about this? Put it on the table. Specifically identify safe space. Mm-hmm. I want your ideas. Um, and to do that with open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. How would you suggest that's done in a way so you don't want to put down anybody's ideas, right? Because you want it to create a safe space, but also to avoid multiple meeting after meeting and flushing things out. There has to be a person or multiple people that start to kind of flush out the best ideas or the best way to move forward. Yeah, yeah. So you have to genuinely express gratitude and appreciation for any topic that gets spoken up about. You, you really do. If you don't genuinely express that gratitude and appreciation, people are going to call your bluff and they're not going to, right, speak up. And then to help narrow down, right, what's the best, um, way forward? Yeah, you do have to kind of, um, make some of those, you know, authority based decisions at times. And what you, my recommendation is, is that you're really transparent about, 
you know, really appreciate the idea. Here's what we're moving forward with. Here's the why. And then what are you going to do with that idea in the future? And if it's a, I don't know, be transparent about it, put it in a parking lot, and then commit to talking about it when the time is right. Great. Sorry. No. <laughs> I have, I have a lot of questions, but Jess always asks better ones, so I was letting you roll. Uh, <clears throat> it's not true. <clears throat> it is true, but moving, moving backwards a little bit, you were talking about, Jess had asked about the, like, how do you assess the situation. Yeah. You mentioned demeanor. I can't imagine that that's changed a little bit during COVID and the fact that we all went remote, because you can't, miss, I mean, cameras on, great, um, but a lot of people go cameras off. Like, so did, did it change how you assess that? Was it more like, you know, tone of voice? Like, how did you get through that during COVID? Because in that time, this was more important than ever. Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, virtual environment, you know, it's easy to turn the, the mic on mute and turn the camera off and roll your eyes, right? right. So there's a, sen a different sense of comfort. Um, so yeah, you do have to pick up on it. Again, you know, it, it's, you hear me talk a lot about setting team norms. I think that's important to consider in a virtual environment, right? What's the expectations with people being on camera versus off? Everyone approaches that differently. Um, I do think there's a sense of psychological safety to forcing someone to have a camera on de depending on their environment. And if you can fog out the background or not, mm -hmm. you know, that's pretty private space entering someone's home. Um, so yeah, so, but you do have to pick up on the, the nonverbals if, you know, for what neck up, if the camera's on, you do have to pick up on a change of tone, monitor how talkative or not talkative someone typically is, especially if you know them from a pre pandemic setting and being in person all the time. If I'm usually talkative and now I'm super quiet in a virtual setting, you have to have that conversation about why. And, and to, right, to do so in a non kind of intimidating or accountability type of way. Um, monitor chats. I think, you know, I've been hearing about this for years, but, you know, courage behind a keyboard, right? So I think in a sense, a virtual environment might enable some people to have a greater sense of psychological safety because they can process their thoughts, maybe get it out on, right? And, and with, with the keyboard, wordsmith it before they hit send on it. Um, and then I think monitoring those chat features and how is that the, the written dialogue being exchanged between various members of the team. Mm -hmm. yeah. So my, my second, were you going to add to that? No, I, I was thinking that that was a really great comment to that people mm -hmm. can kind of almost curate their responses in written form. Mm -hmm. yep. So, and Jess had asked about the training aspect of things. I imagine that as a leader, it's a very tough conversation. Like we talked about accountability and the fact that you know somebody doesn't show up and create kind of a safe environment there. That's probably like a hard pill to swallow. And for a leader to say, you know what, you know, you're just you're not that much fun, <laughs> or you know, <laughs> something to you know to that effect. How do you make sure that those leaders are having the right conversations so that they can progress the mission, but also make that person 
want to you know make the changes that are necessary yeah yeah so you you know it's a lot of digging with the individual about how what are they comfortable with what is the individual norm right the norm of that specific individual coaching the leader through trying to have that interactive exploratory conversation and then offer subtle changes along the way um, for that employee to grasp onto you know people can't change everything overnight especially with the behaviors that have been for some people ingrained in them for their, for their life. Mm -hmm. Um, so offering those kind of incremental wins and coaching points along the way. Um, and then I would also recommend that leaders pair up employees with a trusted, a trusted partner, right? So Mike, if you and I are in the same project team and I know I have a, have a dark side, if you will, I'll acknowledge that to you and then ask you to pull me aside after a meeting if you see it shine, right? Yep. So. So I like to give leaders just some very practical um, things that they can embed in their daily conversations with their employees that doesn't make it seem like it's an extra part-time job that they have to do to coach an employee through this, mm -hmm. um, by, but, but still give them some good, good tools. I have to tell you, though, it won't be successful if a leader cannot get out of their own way and model these behaviors. And, and I think that, that depending on organization, culture, team specific culture, um, society culture, right? There are some pretty dominant authority based hierarchies. And to be able to call your boss out and say, that idea is radical and it will never work for us. Um, we'll, we'll have a harder time of shifting some of the, you know, it'll take a longer journey to shift some of those cultures. Kind of along those same lines, let's say we'll just use HR as an example. There's HR team that says, we do this really well on our team. But then when we go and we're in meetings with the business or other parts of the organization, that it's not as adopted. What would you say to somebody in a culture like that? Yeah, yeah. So I like to leverage good data points to help influence a change in behaviors. And, you know, uh, what I would bring to the business is to say, here's what we model in HR or in the specific team, and here's the ROI. And then let's pull out key data to help demonstrate how a psychologically safe environment reduces preventable harm or safety issues, increases um, retention, Right, helps contribute to that overall employee value prop and being an employer of choice. There's a, a wildly beneficial um, ROI, if you will, about innovation. Mm. Um, you know, if you we go through great strengths to recruit and hire the best of the best. And then once we get them in the door, if we shut them down and don't give them that podium to speak up about anything, we wasted all those efforts. We wasted that top talent's time and efforts and energy. We're, we're hurting our reputation as being a, a thoughtful organization and employer of choice. So I bring those relevant data points, ROI, the business implication to help change, implement change. Mm-hmm and then real life stories. Psychological safety isn't new. I'm not sitting up here making this Greg Johnson, right? There's plenty of research, long time research around it. It is not wildly adopted mm -hmm. by organizations. 
And you'll find pockets of it in various organizations. So find what's working at organizations from studies, bring that forward, and share it as here's the benefit. Mm -hmm. You said it's not widely adopted. It is in pockets. Why do you think that is? Is I mean, I know it's a, a tough thing to change an entire culture around this, but in your opinion, like your professional opinion, what do you think is holding companies back? Uh, I think it's the, I think for, for a lot of leaders, it's the, I'm the leader, I'm authority, I got here for, you know, I, I did my time and I got here somehow, so I know it and appreciate your idea team, but we're going to, we're going to stay the course with what I'm saying. And I really think it's embedded in a lot of cultures about, well, there's a hierarchy and there's a chain of authority and we have to, we have to shift that. Um, and my best advice for those in this room, regardless of the size of, and those listening, regardless of the size of your organization, or if you have, you know, an international footprint or not, take this by pieces. Start with your immediate team. Then go maybe just that one layer broader and broader. Find that key business leader, right? That will help champion this and, and, get them to be the advocate champion and the, the brand ambassador around psychological safety. I'm glad you brought that piece up too, because I was um, thinking while you were sharing um, a thought on individuals like myself that support global teams. And culturally, I'm assuming, you know, that certain conversations or uh, speaking without being asked to speak, things of that nature are not widely accepted outside of the U.S. So have you had situations like that where different types of training have been necessary or maybe it's adapted just a tad bit differently in some of those other locations? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I haven't had quite an international exposure um, from that, but here's what I know from just keeping up on the top, like from a, a real life professional. Yep. Um, but my, my inclination is you have to have that cultural awareness and knowledge. So first, you know, kind of who's your audience? Who are you interacting with? Have a general sense of those cultural norms. Um, and then tailor your training accordingly. Mm -hmm. Um, and that training has to also include a lot of trust embedded in it, right? So if the cultural norm is to go up the leadership chain, right? And they, right, you know, you don't challenge your leader, you have to include in the cultural intelligence training um, how to foster trust. Otherwise, right, without the two, mm -hmm. um, people are not gonna speak up. Mm -hmm. Is a couple questions here. Um, one, you mentioned that one of the problems that you see is that leaders get into a position and it's, you do what I say kind of thing. Do you, does children's or have you seen more emphasis put on hiring managers that show these types of traits that they, so you can start building up people strictly because they show that they're better in this area? In cycle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're on a, a, a journey to be quite honest. So, um, it's not as intentionally built into our recruiting, um, 
processes, if you will. It's going to be hit or miss. But what we are doing is having a lot more conversations about what is psychological safety. Let's make sure we're building it into our framework and various projects and, and such. Um, it is, you know, when I talked about continuous improvement, that is a dedicated strategic initiative in our three-year plan and psychological safety is embedded in that. So as we um, grow and mature, it's undoubtedly just going to be a natural competency that we look for in top talent. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing was around like team building exercises. So sometimes you got to force people into doing things to make them realize, you know, what needs to be changed. Um, and this kind of, it triggered again from that managerial style of, you know, do what I say. Are there some things that you guys do within your teams to, help maybe expose some problems that you have or just reinforce these behaviors? Yeah, yeah. So I'll talk about a um, safety learning report um, program that we have in place to help identify uh, problems. Um, so anyone in our organization can submit a safety learning report and uh, without fear of being held accountable, they can identify their own safety learning issue or something that they observed. And what we do with that is use it as a reflection and then a deep dive into what do we need to do to prevent this from occurring again. Um, and, you know, that's wildly, wildly critical in a healthcare setting. You know, if we, if we put all this together, right, and you don't have psychological safety and you have a clinical, right, provider embarking on a procedure or prescribing a medication. And if, if a colleague questions, is what you're doing accurate and they can't speak up, that's a preventable harm situation that could have been avoided. Mm. Um, so luckily, you know, we do have a sense of being able to speak up because we're taking care of the most vulnerable populations, the kiddos, and then we have actual structure in place to report safety learning events. And, and then we took that a step further and included respect and dignity events. Because if you have, you know, a, a employee, if you will, having a lack of respect for a patient that obviously impacts the patient care and or two employees who might not, um, right, be demonstrating the values of the organization in a unit or in a patient care room that undoubtedly can impact the patient care. Um, so we do have those systems in place. Uh, and that's one key example. Mm. I'm done. Didn't want to cut you yeah, off. That's okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole, but it just, my curiosity is getting to me here. So when we think about our lunch topic, mental health, and like trauma-informed workplaces, do you think that that's a sub-bullet of this and should be a component of the training associated with um, psychological safety? I do, yes, yes. Because, you know, again, it's about your collective experience, not only about a professional or an employee, but about your life. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, it is kind of all woven together. You know, if, if my personal life experience is our have some trauma in it, I am going to carry that over into my workplace regardless, and that might impact my um, perception or my ability to be as right vulnerable or open as I really can be. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's absolutely a tie-in. Um, 
I don't have the magic solution, right, to, to solve for all of those um, intersectionalities of this. But I think the big thing is just being aware of it. And when you notice that there's an individual who might not be demonstrating psychological safety, right? Um, you can have that interactive one-on-one -on -one conversation to try to get, you know, more to the root of what might be contributing to this and, and help deploy some, some smaller strategies to help them navigate through. Mm -hmm. so, Absolutely. Yeah. Just, I was just doing a time check. We're doing okay. Yeah, I know we're going to open it up for some questions, but I'm just curious, Greg, what, how did you find a passion for this specific topic? Was, is there something that you can point to or just an area that you gravitated towards? Yeah, yeah. So, ooh, ooh, vulnerability, right? Are we going <laughs> hey. to practice vulnerability? So, um, so it's been a journey. I think more probably in the last six to 12 months have really honed in more on psychological safety specifically. Mm. I think it's, we're hearing a lot more about it. Um, but my journey, right, is, I blue collar Detroit Motor City family didn't not much by way of education in my family had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up there wasn't a whole lot of psychological safety um, fast forward you know I'm a I'm an openly gay male and there's a sense of vulnerability that comes with being my authentic self and and so as I matured in my career I've gotten more comfortable with being my authentic self, which has removed some internal barriers of being able to contribute all of my skills and experiences. And then what that did for me is to say, I know the impact that this has had on me. And I've had some really good leaders that have helped me navigate to get to where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. And so, one of my passion points is helping teams and people have that safety to say, you know what, I have a different educational background and I got here in an un unconventional path and I need to be able to speak up, put my ideas, concerns, and challenges on the table. Um, so it's really about, I guess, my, my personal journey, mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah. Super powerful. Appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the yeah, fact yeah, that you absolutely. got to bring it to the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. It's great that you can turn that into a positive for so many people, too. I think a lot of our passions come from those experiences. And so when you talk about, you know, how you grew up and that and that's how people relate to psychological safety. And that kind of goes back to my original question way back was like everybody's different in that area. And so you got to figure out a way to reach everybody. Do we want to open it up to Q&A now or did you have other questions? No, I'd love to open it up for Q&A for any questions that the audience doesn't think uh, Mike and I did a good job with or we have any gaps. Hello. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thank Aww, you. Thanks. Um, so you said that we want to hire the best of the best and then when we get into a company, we just want to set them up for success. So I'm just curious, what are some like true practical ways we can set people up for success for um, just being their true selves without kind of teaching just leadership to do this and reflect this? Like, should we do surveys or should we, you know, make sure that they come in and they're um, 
you know, doing like Dropbox or suggestion boxes to just truly open up and be themselves without having someone tell them they can do that for themselves at that point. It does make sense, yeah. So for those of you who might not have heard the question, and I'll paraphrase to make sure I, I got it correct, is um, for, for new hires or new members of any team, right, what are some practical steps that they can take to help, one, make sure the environment has psychological safety and how they can help foster or cultivate that environment? So great question. Do the environmental scan. When you're a new employee, if it's not already part of your training and onboarding, ask to meet with key stakeholders and contributors throughout the organization so you can do your own interview with them to, to gauge what type of environment is it that you're working in. That'll give you also a stronger sense of not only your key partners, but what might that team um, how might that team operate? Um, so the new hire onboarding experience, make sure it's embedded. If it's not, ask for it. Um, and then ask questions amongst your immediate leader and team about what the team norms are and when there's something missing that is valuable for you or relates to right? Fostering a, a psychological safe workplace, just start posing questions. Have we ever thought about? Have we tried? Do you know much about, right? And then depending on how that conversation navigates, then don't be afraid to say, I've got a lot of passion on this. Let me take it on and I'll start putting some, um, start small, right? Incremental pieces in place to help foster this. I think that's the easiest thing other, right? If you don't have a bunch of money and technology and you don't want to survey people because how many surveys are out there? <laughs> it's having that conversation. The last thing, and it's going to be really tough, is when you notice that there is not psychological safety occurring, have the courage to just speak up anyways. You know, and there's some subtle words that can be used about, you know, I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone. I'm really uneasy having this conversation, but bear with me as I have it. Um, that'll give you the recipient of the message the indication like, wow, they're going to have a tough conversation. I can tell they're a little uncomfortable with it, and they'll offer that much more grace mm -hmm. um, to get through that. Yeah, and, and hopefully the the team they're walking into, and thank you for the question, the team they're walking into gives off the vibe that you can be your true self because telling somebody to show up, be your true self, and then if they walk into that situation and it doesn't feel like everybody else is following that, I think you might have a problem there. So, But I love love the question. Thanks for the answer. Is there any more questions? Back there. Hi, thank you. I wonder if you have any suggestions for us as HR professionals and being a strategic partner where we ourselves may not feel psychologically safe because of the trickle down from, you know, higher ups where we, we want to have a role in changing that culture, but we don't necessarily have the support of those above us. Um, so I'm asking about how we can try to be a change agent, um, and 
remain safe and keep our jobs, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a great one. So um, higher up leadership, so senior leadership or maybe executive leadership don't necessarily see the value in having a psychologically safe right environment or mindset and how can we navigate that you know i just i truly go back to identifying the business problems that can help be solved by fostering open communication if you will and that psychological safety again this is about talking about the good the bad the ugly right? And there's nothing worse that a COO wants than hearing that, that the financials are tanking because this huge initiative is not going well. But if we didn't cut that off on, in stage one by having these tough conversations, when we're at that finish line, it's kind of too late. So it's, it's continuing to bring in that business ROI and meeting the business leader where their mindset is. Get away from HR speak, mm -hmm. right? It's all about, right, human center um, experience and humans drive innovation and revenue. Mm -hmm. And again, why are we gonna hire people if it's the same five leaders calling all the shots, right? Like, yeah. we don't need that. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I'm not extremely scientific to answer your question other than, work on a correlating the ROI to the business results and meet the leader where their mindset is. Mm -hmm. Great question. I think also too, you know, you hear your leaders have like their speeches about what's important to the organization. And it's not uncommon to hear like our employees are, you know, what makes up our culture. And if, if you're hearing your leaders say those things, but they're not necessarily excuse me, if they're not necessarily um, leading in that way, I think that's a great opportunity to kindly call that leader out that their actions aren't aligning to the words that they're speaking. I love that. You know, I'm a big fan of doing the debriefs too, right? So, you know, whether it's a small team meeting or a big project launch, right? Have that debrief. What went well? Where do we get stuck? What do we need to do differently? And those are just pretty organic conversations and mm -hmm. can give some subtle feedback to people on the way, right? Yeah. Um, no secret, right? For HR professionals, we're an executive coach. And right, there, are, there can be these senior leaders who, right, I got here some way, somehow, and I don't want to be coached through it. So it's really making sure that you are positioning your role to help them understand. No, I am your executive coach and here's why. You, you've got 95% of it in a good spot. Let me help you fine tune these, these few areas mm -hmm. and watch the results, right, increase from there. Mm -hmm. Great point. Other questions? There are a couple over there. Making sure Melissa gets her steps in today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, my question is, it's really hard to measure um, work culture right now being, you know, we, we're, we're still trying to figure out the norm, right, after COVID, and COVID is still happening. Um, but you mentioned cultural intelligence training, and some of our management teams uh, feel that that's not 
not that it, that's not important, but that everyone's too busy for that right now. Mm -hmm. um, so my question is, what are creative approaches you can take to make that more needed in the organization? Oh, great question. <laughs> Cultural training and creative approaches to make it more, uh, to make it in higher demand, right? So I like, a, so, right, everyone's too busy for everything, right? Other than just taking care of the customer or the patient. So think about small incremental vignettes, if you will, um, that people can build into their daily huddles or weekly team meetings. Um, small digestible learning sessions, quick tips, um, you know, a, a TED talk, something of that sort to help nudge it. A, a great example is, you know, in at Children's Minnesota in our HR department, we do monthly lunch and learns. And this past one, this last month, we highlighted, um, we rolled out some values and action um, behavioral competencies this past year of respect, inclusivity, adaptability, and accountability. So in this TED Talk, or in this Lunch and Learn, we highlighted inclusivity. It's a 50-minute Lunch and Learn, and then we brought in a TED Talk that aligned with inclusivity, and it was all about um, transgender youth and non-binary and, and that related topic. So we tied in organization initiative that is in flight, values in action. We just rolled it out and we're tying in inclusivity with the small little learning session. I think that's the most practical way to get at I'm too busy. Then measure the feedback or, or gather feedback from teams as they go through those small little exercises or activities and use that as your testimonial or your business case to scale it and broaden it and make it more robust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that. Great question. Any? Mm -hmm. I think there was another question. Oh, yeah. Hi. Um, I, I was just going to ask about uh, your, your perspective on a new manager. I, I've seen, I've seen uh, especially a sh someone that's in the organization shifting from individual contributor to a manager. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the switch is an overreaction, thinking now I have the title, I need to have all the answers. Could you just speak to how you counsel a new manager like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've all been there, right, As <laughs> at a certain point. Uh, counsel a new manager. So it, it's that... We got to do it proactively before they step into that, right? That, that red zone, if you will. Um, I like to coach them. One, they have to understand the, the relationship shift, obviously, right? Your peer to, to leader. Give them some practical advice and, and on really when a leader kind of oversteps and has to think they know it all and be the smartest in the room, here's the fallout and here's some real life examples of the relationships that can be damaged or, right, the credibility that's damaged, um, right? Keep confidentiality, but use real-life examples and then give the leader some, some coaching around developing team norms, having conversations with their direct report team, um, almost like a new leader assimilation, mm -hmm. right? We've worked together as peers. Now I'm your leader. Let's talk about this. What do you need from me in this new capacity? And what do I need from you? Mm -hmm. And let's, let's, right? Because I'm a self-critic, 
I'm going to identify for you the couple things I'm going to be mindful of and work on. And I want your feedback along the way if you catch me, right, um, dipping into that red zone, if you will. <laughs> then tell, give that manager advice to check in with their team along the way. So build in as your newer leader, how am I doing? How am I showing up for you? Right? Give me that feedback because I am here to support you and I want this feedback. Mm-hmm. Nothing like a good start, stop, continue exercise, yeah. right? There we go. There we go. <laughs> Do you also coach the new leader's leader? Because I, I feel like that's right. Every, when, you're, when you're a new leader, and I've been in this situation, everybody's trying to tell you how to do stuff. And it's, you know, you want to act like you know everything. And so I'm wondering if you go to that, that person's leader as well, if there's any coaching done there. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, that's a great, that's a great point. And I would say, yes, go up, you know, one level, um, so that next level leader can support you as the coach or the HR person, right. And can support that newly promoted or hired, hired leader. Nothing worse. We know than having a bunch of disconnect, right? The new managers telling their team something teams running up one layer, right? Higher. And then HR gets pulled into it. So definitely, and do it from a space of right about the continuous improvement as your whole self, right? Mm -hmm. And, Next level leader, here's what we need to do to support this newly promoted employee. Nobody wants to deal with that conflict, right? On the back end. (laughs) Got time for one other question. I have one. Yeah. If I'm not seeing any, if that's okay. Um, Greg, I heard you talk about data and results and what if you don't work in an organization that's very big or that doesn't have data or this is a totally new concept? Do you have any tips for that situation? About how to track the successfulness? Or how, or how, to, um, how to bring this forward or get buy-in and get, get people. Like Jesse's question, and you mentioned, you know, it's working on one team, but it's maybe not going so well in other areas. Or maybe I'd build upon that too to say if you don't work for a large organization that maybe has like a people analytics team yes. or you know yeah. anybody that's specifically tracking the data. Yeah. How do you support? Maybe you're an HR team of one or yeah. smaller organization. Yeah, HR team of one. Yeah, you know, that's very fascinating. Uh, earlier in my career, I was an HR manager party of one at a long-term nursing um, long-term care facility, let me be yeah. uh, correct there. <laughs> so I would join the daily leadership huddles and then we would do a quick round robin. And during that, as I was listening to what the leaders would say, I would interject some, ooh, have we thought about this? Have we done this? And do it kind of more subtly without actually being, um, having radical candor without actually calling out, right? Like, Hey, Hey, there's, there's closed, closed mindedness, right? So I would just pose it differently and just my everyday job, um, and get the verbal testimonial along the way. Um, you know, I get it, right? We don't all have fancy HRAS systems and data and all these people to, to massage it. But, but I would say you can, you can get incremental wins just by nature of how you show up to meetings and how you are contributing to the conversation by way of posing ideas, asking open-ended questions, and and um, 
challenging the status quo. Thank you. All right. Um, so as we're wrapping up here with our last eight seconds, um, I just want to thank you, Greg, for being our first live podcast guest. And if you could share with uh, those here and online how they can connect with you if they want to talk more on this topic. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for having me. It's super fun. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Greg Johnson. Uh, and then I'm also, uh, work at Children's Minnesota in the HR department. So pretty easy to find me, um, in those two, in those two forums, if you will. Great. So. Let's give him a round of applause. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Greg. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, Please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.